There is a God. He loves you. And he has handcrafted you for a marvelous purpose. I'm Brother Billy Hatridge, and thank you for listening to the Hatridge Sermons. Last week, we kind of had a Christmas in July, or Christmas in the summer, uh, so we talked about the birth of Christ and about how he fulfilled all of these prophecies before he ever uttered a word. And I talked a lot about how we need to understand the prophecies in the Old Testament in, in order to better understand the Gospels. And yet that Christmas story, the birth of Christ, is only mentioned in two of the Gospels. It's mentioned in Matthew and Luke. The other two don't cover it whatsoever. And so it's interesting to me the key points in Jesus' life that the authors of our Gospels chose to include. That the stories that they all include seem to, at least in my mind, carry a bit more importance than others that one mentions and others leave out. Um, chief amongst them, of course, is the crucifixion and resurrection. But one of the other stories that pops up in all four of the Gospels is the baptism of Jesus. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3 this morning. Matthew chapter 3, this morning we're talking about not just the fact that Jesus was born and that he started being fulfilling all of these prophecies, but rather that he was indeed the Son of God, that he was who he claimed to be. He was a, a deity on earth, his divinity, uh, that was suspect throughout his life and 2,000 years later is still debated. You know, the, the divine nature of Christ is hard for a lot of people to wrap their minds around. He's both fully human and fully God. He's, he's both the Son of God and God in the flesh, and all of these different elements combined make him a very complex spiritual character that we're still trying to study and break down 2,000 years later. And we're still debating, and we're still arguing about these facts and about what his, his identity is as the Son of God. But this is one of the stories that pops out to me. That really stands apart because for us as casual readers, we scratch our heads at the end of it and say, I don't understand why that, that happened. But we know John the Baptist is a cousin of Jesus, and he's a little bit older, and he made it his mission to prepare the way for Christ. right? And so he spends his whole life getting ready to be a messenger, a herald of the Messiah, knowing, of course, that his cousin Jesus down the road, who for some reason is building cabinets with his dad each and every day, and I often wonder about that. John knows who Jesus is, right? Their family. He knows that without a doubt he is the Messiah. That's, whole, that's John's whole personality is preaching this message. And yet he begins at an earlier age doing these things. Meanwhile, the very man he knows is the Son of God is out building barns with his pop in Nazareth. And he's probably wondering, Jesus, you're going to get started at any point here? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm paving the way for your message. But that's where we find the story in, in Matthew chapter 3. It says, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who is spoken, spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, and make paths straight for him. So John is referring to Isaiah, to one of the prophecies, and he's talking about how even John the Baptist, this cousin of Jesus, even he is fulfilling prophecy by being in the wilderness and paving the way for the Messiah. He's also a wild man. He's a hermit. He's a guy who, quote, uh, his clothes were made out of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. 
And people went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And so John the Baptist, he is a, he's kind of a, I wouldn't say hermit because he's actively going out amongst the people, but he's a wild man. He's living out in the wilderness. He's got clothes basically just stitched together with camel's hair with nothing but a leather belt holding it all together, you know. He's eating locusts and, um, and not the locusts that we call locusts, those big old grasshoppers, you know, and wild honey that he comes across. And he doesn't have a, a charismatic Joel Olstein persona of a well, sharp-dressed man, right? He is, for all intents and purposes, a, a wild man. And yet, there's a magnetism about him in the message that he preaches for people from all over the region, all of Jerusalem, all of Judea, are coming to seek him out, this man who's eating bugs and dressed in camel's hair. There's something about him and his message that is resonating with people. And I love characters like John because it shows us once again, and I've said this about almost every character we've mentioned, God doesn't need these Hollywood action blockbuster good-looking guys to go out and change the world. He can take anybody from any level. That's one of the differences between... um, our modern culture and what we think of as important people in the way that the Scripture works. The way that God works through the Scripture, rather. It says here in verse 7, But he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming where he was baptizing. And he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. He continues, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork in his hand, he will clear his threshing floor gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the shaft with unquenchable fire. If you're like me, when you think of the Pharisees and Sadducees and the, the, the holy elite of Jerusalem, you often think that the reason they're the bad guys is because they had this vendetta against Jesus. And that's why they were kind of the bad guys in the story. But here's John, right? Jesus hasn't even started his ministry yet, but they show up and he's calling them out. Because they are, even before Jesus utters a word in his ministry, they have already kind of removed themselves from what is pure and holy and righteous in God's name. They become so focused on the law, so focused on controlling others through what they view as the the scripture and the law and what they're supposed to be doing. And he's saying, look, the day is coming when your position will mean nothing. He says, you claim that you are sons of Abraham. And remember when Jesus confronts them later on, that's what they go to. We are the sons of Abraham. But John tells them, like, look, that doesn't matter, right? God can make sons out of the rocks. Like, your relationship here is null and void when it comes to the power of him who I am preaching of. He says, in fact, I am so unworthy, I can't even carry his sandals. That's how powerful and great he is in comparison to me, that I am so me. John the Baptist, this guy who is paving the way for Jesus. The one, John, remember, was one of the very first human beings on the face of the planet to recognize his divinity when their pregnant mothers were in the womb 
and John reacted in the womb with joy at the very presence of Christ. This is the man who's saying that he's unworthy to carry his sandals. Fast forward a few years, and we have Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, showing indeed that Jesus is not one to, quote, rule over people, but to serve people through humility. Furthermore, he talks about the threshing floor. And the threshing floor, they would gather up their harvest, right, all the wheat. They'd gathered up in this big room, and there are these big windows in this stone room. And they would get in there with basically pitchforks, and they would toss this wheat up into the air. And it would separate out the wheat from the chaff. And they would gather up all the stuff that's worthless, take it out and burn it. They would gather the heavy stuff, and that's what they would bring in, start making their flour and start making their, uh, their food with. And that is what's going to happen with all of us. Not just the Pharisees and Sadducees there by the river, but all of us today, we have those two options. And in our lives that we live, and the way that we communicate with others, and the way that we treat others, we're being tossed in the air, our lives. But are we going to fall to the ground, or are we going to get blown away by the wind? Where is our value? Are we destined to be gathered, or to be burned? An unquenchable fire, John warns. But then in verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. All four Gospels tell this story of Jesus being baptized by John. If you've read through the Gospels, if you've studied your Bible, you know that the Gospels, they often have different events, different versions of different events. It, it, it's difficult to kind of compare, but every one of them, and even the writings of Paul, refer to this moment of Jesus being baptized by John. And John's perspective is our perspective. Why do you, the Word of God in the flesh, need to be baptized? Right, for everything that we understand about baptism, for everything that we understand about the, the both uh, symbolic and the spiritual elements of being baptized, Jesus didn't need. He didn't need to be cleansed of his sins because he was without sin. He didn't need some uh, symbolic gesture to show that he was a child of God because he was literally the Son of God. In fact, right after he comes out of the water, the Spirit descends on him and God says, this is my son. So why did Jesus go into the waters of baptism? To fulfill all righteousness. That's what he says. To fulfill all righteousness. But what does that mean? <laughs> really, what, what does that mean, to fulfill all righteousness? He's already fully righteous. Why does he need to go into the waters? Why does he need to go through this process? Because, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus needed to be human. He needed to be human. He needed to live his life as we live ours. He was the Son of God. 
He had a choir of angels at his back every moment of his life. Right? We know that the very next story is when he's tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And who shows up after he wins that battle? A choir of angels comes down to consult him. He can calm the storms like that. He can teleport if he wanted to teleport. You know, I mean, he could, he could, he could shiver and then just cleanse himself magically. He, he had the power of God in the flesh. Anything that he wanted to do, he could have done. And yet, with all of this power, with all of this possibility, he could have strode right into the temple in Jerusalem, sat down on the throne and claimed it for himself, and nobody could have pulled him out. But he doesn't, right? He, he continues to put himself in these positions where he experiences that human life. He walks the walk. He wanted to be as human as the very people that he was dying for. And so as a part of that, he is baptized. He is baptized to experience that baptism for himself in order to fully show that he was able to fulfill the righteousness that we never could. Because a lot of us in this church this morning, we've been baptized. But that didn't mean that when we came out, we never sinned again, and that we were fully cleansed and pure and lived the rest of our life as these saints. No, no, no. A lot of us didn't even make it to bed that night without having a few sins under our belt after getting baptized. There's a beautiful quote I like. It says, Who is the man under the waters of baptism? Is he both sinner and saint? But the fact is, usually within the hour of coming out of those waters, within the hour of going to God in prayer, within the hour of being saved by Jesus, we're right back being tarnished with sin. Over and over and over we go. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and He is able to live a life that meets every one of those covenants, every one of those promises that God makes with His people, saying, if you follow my law, if you follow my will, I will do these things for you. We drop the ball, right? Over and over and over again. And then Jesus shows up, the final covenant, the final promise, and He says, you know what? Y'all sit over there. I've got this. I'm going to fulfill your end of the deal. The baptism of Jesus. You don't have to turn there this morning because it's just one verse, but in Mark it reads, this is John the Baptist saying, After me comes one more powerful than I, whose strap, the straps of whose sandals I am unworthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I'm, unwill, I'm unworthy to untie his shoes. Not just carry his sandals, but just untie his shoes. And then I've got one more for you this morning. This is more of a verse for myself, but before I get into my last little closing bit, I want to reference it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul, he's talking to the churches, of course. That's what Paul is doing in his writings, talking to the churches. And there's this great kind of disconnect a lot of the early Christians are having about Jesus and about holy men. And they start claiming like, oh, well, I was saved by Paul, or I was saved by... Um, Stephanus, or I was baptized by so-and-so, and they're forgetting the fact that none of these men had power. And so Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 17, 
or first, yeah, first Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. God did not send me to baptize, but to preach. Because even myself as a pastor and a minister, I don't have the ability to baptize or save anyone. I don't. That's what Paul was writing here. He's saying, look, it's not my power. It's not me. I might be standing there saying the words, but I'm not the one doing any of this. This is between you and God. And Paul is recognizing what Christ recognized all those years earlier. That that moment of baptism isn't about who's doing the baptizing. It wasn't about John. I mean, John was an important character in Jesus' life, and as far as Jesus was concerned, if anybody's going to stand there while he does this, he wanted John to be there. But it all goes back around to this, this notion of baptism and what it means. You know, I was baptized right next door in Herman Welch's pool. And for me, it was more symbolic, right? I had already kind of given myself, not kind of, I had given myself to Christ. I was trying to live a Christian life. But it was one thing that I had never experienced growing up. I had never been baptized formally. But I knew that it was one of those crucial milestones that I, as a Christian, had to go through. That I wasn't actually cleansing myself of sin and going on to live a life as a saint, but rather that this is one of those things that Jesus found so important that he himself traveled. He didn't get in an air-conditioned car and drive down the road. No, he walked by foot down to the Jordan, found John living in the wilderness and said, Hey, bud, I need you to baptize me. Which John says, No, I'm unworthy. Like, you don't need to be baptized. I'm unworthy of baptizing you. But Jesus said, It's that important. It's that important. And I, I look at Jesus' identity as the Son of God, and I, I really try to wrap my head around why He chose to do what He did. Why He both was the Son of God and, and fully divine, and then also was such a, a human person that is so relatable that you can put yourself in His, in his shoes almost, that you, can, that you can picture Him in your mind. He's the kind of guy on a Saturday morning when everybody's down there eating breakfast to go out on the lake, you know, and he walks in and starts chatting up with everybody and starts telling these wonderful stories with this, this uh, beautiful uh, morals in it, you know, and these, these parables, and you're so charismatic. And he does moments like this, these humble moments where he shows that he is wanting desperately to be human. Because that's the whole point, was to understand our sin and to understand our struggle and to understand human nature. And He does all these things and He lives among us and He gets to these points where He doesn't need to be baptized, but He does. He doesn't need to get arrested, but He does. He doesn't need to be crucified, right? Remember when they call out, cry out at Him, if you're truly the Messiah, the angels can bring you down from that cross. Just say the words. Just say the words. We know you've got the power. Imagine being His disciples, the very disciples that watched Him calm the storms and raise the dead, and to know, know that He could take Himself down from that cross any moment He wanted to. That even when He was being tested and tried and, and tortured and whipped, 
that he could have called down a choir of angels to deliver him. That he could have brought that whole city of Jerusalem down in a rain of hellfire if he wanted to. But that wasn't the point of Jesus being here. We see throughout the Gospels two phrases used in reference to God, uh, Jesus. Son of God and Son of Man. Over and over. Back and forth. Son of God Son of Man. Because while we as Christians focus on His relevance as the true Son of God Almighty, it is important, just as important, to understand that He was the Son of Mary and Joseph. The Son of Man. While He was brought into this world in a human body, He didn't just materialize out of thin air like the angels before Him. We know that God could make Himself seen, right? He shows up to Elijah. He shows up to Moses. He, he is able to materialize Himself in some aspect. But no, with Jesus, He came into this world fully human. Lived a fully human life. Went through the process of being baptized. Went through the process of having being preached to. Keep that in mind. When He was a boy, where did He go? He went to the temple to listen to the scribes, to listen to the prophets, to listen to the priests. Tell Him about the Scripture. Even Jesus, the Son of God, went to church. Even Jesus, the Son of God, got baptized. Even Jesus, the Son of God, knew the hardships of life. And that's why it's so important for us to resonate with Him and to understand that He knows our pain, that He knows what we're going through, that He knows our heartaches, because He did not just come down, tell us one thing, and disappear like the angels, but He lived His life. I turned 33 at the end of this year. And I'll be the age that Jesus was when He got hung on that cross. And I think about that as that date comes closer and closer and closer to me. In fact, the last several years as I read through this story, I'm thinking, I'm Jesus' age. Just last year was how old Jesus was. And it's, just, it's hard for me to connect that a little bit because He's so spiritual and wise that it's hard for me to think that I'm the same age that, that Jesus was when He's doing all this because I don't know anything about what I'm talking about. <laughs> Maybe 10%. A lot of times I'm just up here rambling and watching the clock and trying to get it dragged out. But, but Jesus, He's us, man. He's us. Grew up in a little town. Dad was a blue-collar worker. Friends with a bunch of fishermen. Growing up not too far from a big fishing lake. He knows what we're going through. Because while the message this week, the study this week, is about how He was the Son of God, I wanted to make sure we truly understand that He was also the Son of Man. That He was us. That He's not this disconnected, unrelatable guy. And I'm going to close with this. If you haven't been baptized, if it's something that's been weighing on your heart, I want you to reach out to me. I want you to pray on it. It's one of those things that a lot of us, myself included, neglect. We live our lives. It's not really something that we see. We don't really think about it. And then it gets mentioned real briefly in a sermon, and we think, oh, you know, maybe I want to do that. And then don't. But it's a powerful gesture. It's a powerful moment 
in our lives where we get to show that we are children of God. Because in that moment when Jesus went into the waters of the Jordan and was baptized, He was making a declaration that I am a child of God. You go into those waters of baptism a sinner, and you come back out, unfortunately, still as much of a sinner as you were before. But it's through the waters of baptism that we declare ourselves a child of God, a brother or sister of Christ. It's a powerful moment for all of us, and it's one that we shouldn't take lightly, but it's one that we should all go through. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for this story, for this crucial element of Jesus' life that every gospel writer felt inclined to include in their writings. Lord God, for some reason, Jesus knew the power of baptism. He knew its importance. He knew that even though he didn't need it, he wanted to. That he wanted John to baptize him as a declaration of who he was, not just as your son, but as your child, in the same way that we are your children. That, Lord God, we belong to you not through blood, not through body, but through faith, through our souls. Lord God, we pray that you forgive each and every one of us, Lord God, that you wash our sins away through the blood of Christ, that you do these things, Lord God. And we know, too, that those of us who have been baptized and those of us who are debating it or thinking about it, Lord, that, that we are simply baptized by water. But to be saved by Christ is to be baptized by the Spirit. Lord, we just thank you. Thank you for your instruction. Thank you for your teaching. Thank you for these messages. We pray all these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.